0: weight loss might be a pleasant side effect, but we're here to give your life back, your health back here with the focus of nutrition. And, you know, we'll discuss everything. We talk about everything in the book.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Okay. So talk about the, what is the day in the life of the Galveston diet look like? And how do you walk people through that?
0: So there's, there's three components I touched on earlier. One is intermittent fasting, really not a great way to lose weight. Multiple studies are coming to show that, but what it can do for you as far as autophagy and longevity and lowering insulin levels and keeping your glucose stable and you know lowering inflammation markers is is legion if if done correctly and you know the window may be different for everyone we're biodiverse individuals and you know there's no cookie cutter that's going to work for you we want you to ease into it and kind of find that window that's that's going to work the best for you
1: girl you've got questions It is a journey into the second spring of our life, as the Japanese like to say, the use the word konenki, which literally means second spring. That's what I want this to be for you. I want your the rest of our life to feel like the second spring, right? To feel like the second spring. We don't have to feel like once we're 50, we're now in the winter of our lives. And it I don't want to feel that. And I the way I would ask you to like conceptualize this is how does your spirit feel how young is your spiritual energy and write down three numbers what is your chronicologic age and what's your energetic age like how's your spirit feeling does it still have that childlike youthfulness, that curiosity that interest that playfulness i mean where how old is that how is your spirit age and the third is emotionally emotionally where do you feel we want to be wise and slow to slow to anger right we want to know what's be able to resonate with what's important and i think thinking right now about the serenity prayer is god grant me the serenity to accept the things i cannot change the courage to change the things i can and the wisdom to know the difference I love this. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And I think that's so powerful. And that's the wisdom of aging. And then to maintain our curiosity, to maintain our you know, I've got to figure this out. I'm on my journey. So today in the girlfriend doctor show, I'm bringing to you uh, another OBGYN. Her name is Mary Claire Haver. You may have seen her on TikTok. She's really focused on menopause. Her platform is around the Galveston diet, a diet to create when in 2019, she was struggling in her own menopausal journey. And she has created a tremendous social media following around this and now published her best-selling book, The Galveston Diet. So I'm excited to bring her here for this open, honest conversation. Let me introduce her to you. Here we go. Well, welcome Dr. Mary Claire Haver. How are you? Welcome to the Girlfriend Doctor show. Great. Thank you for having me. Well, you've been through a very challenging launch of your book, how amazing to run out of books and, and to really, again, bringing this information on women's health and menopause and how we have to do things differently into, you know, into the public's eye. how important it is. I would love for you to share us some of your story because you and I both trained traditional OBGYN, I trained at Emory and you trained at Uh, UT, University of Texas,
0: Galveston. Yeah.
1: And so, and that's where you are now in Galveston.
0: I live here. Yes.
1: Very, very cool. So tell us a little bit about your journey into, into this.
0: So I, let's take it back to about 2017, 2016. I was in my mid to late 40s, well, late 40s and traditional ob in academic practice. So I split my time between running in the residency program, seeing all the private patients at the hospital, you know, delivering everyone, <laughs> all of the residents, the faculty, the local um, people in our community really enjoyed my practice, love patient care, you know, had great teams that I work with. But as you can probably recognize, administrative burden with all the changes at the hospital level were really starting to take their toll. And, you know, didn't know how much longer I could kind of hang in that situation because call was pretty tough. You know, I was probably out three nights a week, you know, and then working the next day in my late forties, which was tough. So the same time, my oldest brother, um, oldest surviving brother had a brother who died at 19 from leukemia. My next brother had been suffering from HIV and hepatitis, and he was kind of in the late stages of liver failure. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of rushing back to Louisiana where I'm from to go help take care of him or whenever he'd have to get admitted for esophageal varices or whatever. So that was kind of taking its toll. I also recognize, all right, I've been on birth control pills for a very long time. I've had polycystic ovarian syndrome. So that was treating my disease, you know, uh, treating my symptoms and I'll do really well on them, but you know, recognize late forties, probably should get off and kind of see where I'm at as far as menopause. So I, I talked to my practitioner, got off the pill. And at the same time, my brother had a stroke and died. Uh, oh, and so I kind of forgot that I got off the pill. Like my whole world went cattywampus. Yeah. I was bereavement leave, went home, did his hospice care, really just went into a deep depression and took me a few months. Like I was barely functional. You know, I was just enough. I could get up and go to work and take care of patients and came home. And and I had plus, done. you're a mom and a wife. Yeah, I had time. no wife and no mommy left. You know, yeah. like thank God my husband picked up the slack. You know, he's been a really good partner. And he just recognized she is not doing well. And, you know, my coping mechanisms were, I would like get home, I'd cry all the way home from the office and then dry my tears so my kids wouldn't see me being so upset and then go straight to the pantry and I would just start inhaling whatever processed carbohydrates I had available. And then I'd wash that down with a glass of wine. And so, you know, a few months of that led to some weight gain, expectedly, you know. So then once the grief and the fog lifted, Here I was probably 20 pounds over my normal weight. And, you know, as you know, my patients have been complaining of weight gain for years. Like I was aging with my patients. We had babies together. We were going through menopause together. And so I said, all right, time to do all the things I told my patients to do. Work out more, eat less. And it didn't work. Right, so, right.
1: And okay. it's, uh, I'm sure you heard this, my patients will come in and say, Dr. Ann, I've gained 5, 10 and 20 pounds without doing anything different. Here you were doing some things different. Number one, you know, hormonal withdrawal from being off birth control pills, huge amount of, I'm so sorry for your loss. I mean, that is, you know, this is the culmination of of just really? trauma perfect storm. Unexpl- perfect <laughs> storm and then you know you're, I was I don't know how old your girls are but I was like mom's going through menopause and daughters in their puberty Teenagers. and teenage <laughs> years it's that's another perfect storm so you've had a couple of perfect storms colliding here at the same time and plus what we were taught how we were trained to treat the stage I mean it's 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 different. So please, yes, go ahead. Continue. So
0: I, you know, took my own advice and doubled down at the gym. We had a little, we turned our garage into a little workout area. I was down there sometimes twice a day. I was calorically restricting. Mm -hmm. You know, I kept cutting back more. It's got to work. It's got to work. It's got to work. Like, you know, I'm a scientist. Like this is what they told me had to be the thing. And I kept going back to the books and reading, what am I missing? What am I missing? And I'd lose a couple of pounds. Yeah. But then it would just bounce right back on like the usual tricks that I used to do to get back into a pair of jeans or, you know, postpartum weight loss, nothing, nothing, nothing was working. So I was getting up in the middle of the night, Anna, to go to the bathroom and weigh myself. I mean, I was literally becoming obsessed. Obsessive. Then mm-hmm. obsessive. was like, Hey, okay, I'm glad you're not crying every day, but you know, this weight thing, like, I love you. You look beautiful. I don't care. But like, you're a scientist figure this out. Like you've told the kids for years, if what you're doing is not working, you need to find a new path. And he said, you need to figure this out. So I worked at a big academic institution at the time, called the PhD nutrition department. I delivered all their babies and said, what is going on in menopause? I can't figure this out. And the weight gain for me and most of my patients was my abdomen. It wasn't anywhere else. I didn't have new hips or new, you know, I just had a gut that I had never, never, never had before. So they gave me a bunch of medical articles to read, you know, randomized control studies, looking at inflammation, fasting, nutrition, and then I kind of pulled in what's going on with menopause and inflammation and just shocked myself by how much data was out there that I had no idea. Mm -hmm. I even went back since we're both OBGen, I get boards or, you know, I recertify every year by reading the articles recommended. I went back to the green journal and I pulled several years and I looked for menopause articles and there's like almost none. Yeah. And this year we had the one from circulation magazine about heart disease and menopause. And I like was screaming. I couldn't believe we had a menopause centric article on our, you know, board review, you know, board certification exam. I was like,
1: I know, right. It is just about time, but it's really important to understand, like this research has been out there. It doesn't make it into our green journal, which is what OBGYNs read. I mean, that's the compilation of research in women's health. I mean, in 2014, there was a study that looked at um, women who had had a hysterectomy or their ovaries removed had increased risk of diabetes. And again, like, is it because they had their ovaries removed and their hysterectomy or was the underlying insulin resistance, which caused the need, the hormone imbalance causing the need for the hysterectomy and their, their ovarian dysfunction. Right. So, so looking at these things, but the, the wrong conclusions were even made. Right. And so I think that's the power, that's the powerful piece is like looking at this and then MRI imaging of, of a woman's brain that's just, that is new that, over the last decade. The University
0: of Arizona, that blew my mind. The 20% de- decrease in the function, you know, it's
1: gluconeogenesis, it's our brains are starving for fuel because of the hormonal transition. I thought that was good. Now the perfect storm too here with the gut and the, you know, this gut waste gain is also the consequence of the birth control pills for many years affecting the gut microbiome. And that's still that research is in its paucity too. Do you feel that had a role in- I
0: I always felt like I haven't seen that data yet, and I I need to go back and find it. But you know, I always felt like I did really really well on the birth control pill. I had no problem. I actually felt better. My my PCOS was, my my testosterone levels were like in the hundreds. You know, and so I it just I always felt better on it. So I it never- leveled
1: you out. Yeah. Attributed
0: to that, never had, yeah. So it's just I got off and was immediately menopausal, you know. So that the birth control pill was giving me estrogen and progesterone and masking my menopausal symptoms at the time.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think there's there's going to be so much more information that definitely comes out with the ovarian suppression from the birth control pills and the progestins. We see that now we looked at it closely in menopausal women. And so that'll bring us into some of that. We'll come back to hormone therapy. I like to say hormone replenishment versus replacement. So that's kind of like my tagline, hormone replenishment, not replacement. So we'll talk about hormone replenishment, you know, approach in a little bit, how, how we do that. So, okay. So now you're Reading the so research, recognizing the research. there's
0: little you're yeah. down the rabbit hole because you're the <laughs> rabbit like, oh. hole, and you know a few themes kept popping up. One was you know fasting, and not so much for weight loss. You know I, I stopped thinking about it after the research in terms of weight loss, but more in terms of health gain and lowering inflammation. And so there was some great and you know, really, really nice, elegant research from Mark Matson from the NIH on neurodegeneration or neurodegenerative disease. So Alzheimer's and dementia and fasting and how it, how fasting seemed to lower the neuroinflammatory levels. And I thought, okay, well fasting, let me give this a try and see what happens. And then, you know, just tons of information on anti-inflammatory nutrition. So I realized there was a huge gap and in longevity. I, we would say, okay, the longevity yes, piece. with longevity. So I decided, okay, I don't know enough. I don't know what I don't know. Like, and how I even reached back out to the new PhD people. And I said, Hey, I should, I get a master's in nutrition. Like, you know, I have a bachelor's in, you know, what can I do? And so they started poking around and said, hey, there's a, a program at Tulane in New Orleans and they're calling it culinary medicine, but it's really a medical nutrition course. And it's made for physicians, practitioners, pharmacists, you know, to give you a good solid background in medical nutrition and how to talk to your patients about it. So I was like, I'm in. So got permission from my boss, enrolled in the course, took me about 18 months to get through it, had to take a board exam for our certification exam, not a board exam. And it was some of the best I've learned, you know, education that I've ever, ever had. And I thought, God, if every medical student could go through this and it would just change medicine altogether, utilizing mm. that nutrition key. So through all of that, I kind of put a program, the program was for me. I just wanted to get this off. And then my, you know, said, hey, talk to my patients. Do y'all want to try? Here's my little protocol. Y'all want to do it? Yeah, Sure. And then they started telling their girlfriends and then my girlfriends did it. And then I shared it on social media, on Facebook, and it exploded. So then everybody I knew on Facebook, which was like a couple thousand people, wanted to try it. And it just like, like kind of like your program did, it kind of grew from there, decided to take it to an online course so we could share it larger and I could, you know, pay the bills with it. And, you know, after a couple of years, we had almost 100,000 students enrolled in the program. But what for me began on social media as a discussion around nutrition and menopause just exploded into all things menopause. And Mm -hmm. so that's been really, really fun. It's just all I do is educate and talk and teach people how to advocate for themselves and, you know, and what, how to talk to your doctor about this. And here's articles you can actually hand your doctor in support of you, you know, being a candidate for certain therapies and, you know, reframing menopause care into a toolbox. Rather than just one, site, one thing fits all, here's your magic cure, here's your elixir, here's your whatever, and this is going to fix all your problems. And as you know, we have to do everything
1: to be healthy. It's multiple, <laughs> right? Multiple angles. And I want you to talk about your protocol, the Galveston diet and your new book, the Galveston diet. And I think the big thing is I always tell our clients and it, that menopause is mandatory and natural suffering is optional. It oh, is no more a disease state than puberty. And we don't want to suppress it. We don't want to like suppress a woman's transition, nor would we want to suppress pubertal transition, but we know we can make it healthy or it can be unhealthy. And I've had four daughters, right? So like, I am big on hormonal balance at all ages, at all ages. And there's there's no time that's too soon to start. So those early symptoms of like, for example, you know, PMS, uh, PCOS, the regular cycles. I mean, that is, those are, I love to emphasize that those are survival genes. Those are powerful leadership genes. Those aren't fat genes, infertility genes, you know, acne genes, right? We want to like put a twist on what the genetics are that we can optimize to empower us versus the epigenetic changes through chemicals and pharma and standard lifestyle and blue light and high carb food and all that stuff that work against our genetic expression. So to honor our expression, the same thing in this menopause transition, having gone through it twice now, finally through it at age 56. It's like soon to be 57. I just like it's a, I like to say years young. It is it is that empower I mean, it really is that empowerment stage of life that is like no other in our in our life, and we want to claim it as women. So you claiming it, getting into that clarity. I mean, we can't get there without getting. Bumping into ketosis, because again, if the brain's starving for glucose for fuel because of impaired gluconeogenesis due to the hormone changes, right? We're we're suppressing, we're in that fog, and I I love hearing it. You know that great, the weight comes off, but it's I feel like myself again. My the fog has right. lifted. That's- I'm smiling for no reason, right? right. That's You've given me my life back
0: is like the best thing I've ever, you know, and that's what we're hearing. I'm getting very little feedback about weight loss. You know, I, I'm, I'm not, that's not our focus. We're like, weight loss might be a pleasant side effect, but we're here to give your life back, your health back here with the focus of nutrition. And, you know, we'll discuss everything. We talk about everything in the book.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Okay. So talk about the, what is the day in the life of the Galveston diet like, and how do you walk people through that?
0: So there's, there's three components I touched on earlier. One is intermittent fasting, really not a great way to lose weight. Multiple studies are coming to show that, but what it can do for you as far as autophagy and longevity and lowering insulin levels and keeping your glucose stable and, you know, lowering inflammation markers is, is legion if, if done correctly. And, you know, the window may be different for everyone. We're biodiverse individuals and, you know, there's no cookie cutter that's going to work for you. We, I want you to ease into it and kind of find that window that's, that's going to work the best for you.
1: Yeah. I found the same thing. We started at 13, like getting bumping into 13 hour intervals. Fasting is a muscle. So then like 16, I have found that for most people, again, everyone's individual, but number one, you've got to change things up. You, you know, don't push the mm-hmm. fasting too long, too often, that becomes a stress on your body. And for our audience, you guys have can reference back the amazing girlfriend doctor shows with Dr. Mindy Pels, and her book fast like a girl and doc, and Cynthia Thurlow, her book intermittent fasting for women, I mean, so many good resources and, and guests, we're finding the same thing, right? We're finding the same thing that supports this. But I found that women do better, and we really can alternate but when we break fast by 10, 11am and stop eating by six to 7am. And that's kind of a a general gestalt for my group when we're doing the keto green lifestyle. But again, push it longer, occasionally have a
0: shorter interval and listen to what your body is telling you. Exactly. Listen to your body. So that's kind of the first thing. The second is we do a lot of teaching around basic anti-inflammatory nutrition, focusing on, you know, food and the why, like I teach a lot about what compounds are in foods that promote, you know, that decrease inflammation, how the gut microbiome feeds into it, you know, and, and it's, it's pretty basic. It's nothing that would shock you, you know, leafy greens and fruits and vegetables and nuts and seeds. And, you know, pretty much if it came from, from, you know, if it's naturally made, then, more than likely we're supposed to be eating it in a larger amounts. So, and then we talk about things that can be inflammatory for some people, for all people. And these are the things that should be, I don't want to say never, ever have it, but you know, we're human. We get into social situations where someone puts something in front of us and, you know, but you know, making the choices more often than not that, you know, are more anti-inflammatory. There's a great, there's a a inflammation scale that was put together by the American Academy of nutrition. and They use it when they were doing studies about inflammation and in nutrition. So we took it and we kind of simplified it and made it into like a little quiz. And so it's a back of the envelope kind of, you know, what did you eat in the last 24 hours? And it's in the book and it's on our website. It's our inflammation quiz and you can kind of grade where you are and so things that are pro-inflammatory you get a minus and anti-inflammatory you get a plus and we give you a score at the end and it kind of tells you where you fell and so it's kind of eye-opening because I can't tell you how many people come to me and they say I'm eating healthy and I tell you 10 years ago I would have said the same thing until I went back to school to learn about right, nutrition right, just because right, the label sugar. says healthy does not mean it's healthy right So, you know, the the inflammation quiz has been a really powerful tool for our students, you know, to help them be like, whoa, like at that eye-opening moment, maybe my choices, what I thought was healthy, maybe wasn't really serving me. So So what are
1: some of your big no foods?
0: Anything artificial or that's going to disrupt the gut microbiome. So a lot of the artificial colors, artificial flavors, some of the nitrites, the additives, the sulfites, things that are added for shelf life, you know, the the saturated i mean the um they've even taken them off the market they were so dangerous you know so seed hydro- oils all the seed oils the hydros- the the fats and and things you know just i'm always like be careful with packaging be, be careful with things in bags and boxes i'm not saying never but that should not be the main source of your food you know it, you most likely you're gonna underserve your, you know it's not going to serve you for health very and true then- Third component is what we call fuel refocusing, where we talk a lot about macro and micronutrients. I go, we do a deep dive into what micronutrients, at least most women seem to be deficient in and why, um, you know, things like vitamin D and magnesium. We talk about, you know, optimal levels of that and where that comes from. We talk about, you know, we have ratios of macronutrients that we you know, shoot for, for when you are trying to lose weight. And then we shift them a little bit over when we're just maintaining and just trying to be healthy. So, and we talk about sugar addictions and tricks to break that. I do a lot. I bring in a lot of stories of other people's menopause stories. So I felt like the reader could see themselves, you know, in the book and their own struggles. We talk about insulin, cortisol, leptin, ghrelin, hormone, PPY, neuropeptide, GLP-1, you know, and how all of those work to get us, you know, to satisfy our hunger and make our satiety and, you know, where and how we store fat and how all those things work together and how they change through our menopause journey.
1: Yeah, no, I love that. And where does dairy fall into your program?
0: So dairy is optional. If you have a lactose allergy or an allergy, you know, if you, I'm sorry, food sensitivity tolerance or a protein to milk allergy, you know, allergy to milk protein, then that's not for you. You should know that by now, you know, you can't have that. It's going to do terrible things to you, but for the Archer. rest, Yeah. I would say if
1: you're not getting results, take it out. I mean, I none of my recipes include dairy because it's such a high.
0: alcohol falls in the same thing. If it's not serving you, you know, I'm not saying you can never have alcohol, but it might be hindering your progress. You know, there's a lot of sugar there. People tend to make, eat more and make, Decisions they wouldn't have made had they not had alcohol on in their system. So, you know, dairy is optional. And if in our recipes, it's usually an accoutrement, like shave a little Parmesan on something or sprinkle a, you know, it's a flavor rather than being a main source of something.
1: That sounds great. Now, how did like being trained as an OBGYN and knowing through the hormone prescribing, how has, has that shifted for you during your own journey?
0: So I mean, you know, I grew up, well, so I finished my training in 2002, the year that the WHI was, was coming out and, you know, hormone therapy of any form got vilified. And so for our
1: audience, that uh, women's health initiative trial was published in 2002, just after a few years, because it showed a higher increased risk of breast cancer. They stopped the entire trial. Many of you probably remember news headlines and it said that it is like that estrogen and purge they call it a progesterone, but it's progestin, synthetic progestins were like very dangerous. And right. many women were stopped from their hormone therapy at that time. And it's really, we're still trying to recover from the misinformation from that. of that study.
0: So from what I've read, what I've taken, read the French study, looking at different progestins. And
1: so that typically- was Dr. Fournier's study. Now that's a huge study because it was initially he did 50,000, then 80,000 and a hundred thousand multi people study. And that research was early published by then.
0: So typically, you know, in my clinic, so when I'm prescribing to patients, I will stick with, you know, I'm trying to give them back what their ovaries used to make, you know, if, if they're a good candidate and this is something that they want to try. So I'm going with estradiol and I'm going to go with progesterone. And that's pretty much all I do. I don't do primarin. I don't do synthetic progestins. I pretty much just try to stick to what the ovaries getting as close to what the ovaries used to make. But I always do it with a caveat of nothing ever is going to work better for you than your 25 year old ovaries. And I can't give you those back. You know, this is this is just okay. You know, we can't ignore the rest of it, you know, and
1: what number one is diet and lifestyle. Number one is the best thing I can do for your ovaries.
0: Open our our toolbox, nutrition and exercise, you know, we don't exercise to be thin, we exercise to be strong, you know, strong muscles and muscles and bones with resistance training and a strong heart with our cardio. And then by the way, the brain gets involved and, you know, it works works great. It lubricates everything. So I read something the other day. just like I you know, you know something, but you've not seen it in print and then you just like light bulb moment goes off. And it was talking about aging. And we are our gender is the only one that has accelerated aging in one particular organ. and our ovaries age faster than anything else in our body. And why is that? And does that have to happen? You analogous. know, we don't have an analogous thing happening in the male gen, you know, people with those gonads, they die with them. They can reproduce until they, you know, their testosterone drops off at about 40 and it really levels out, you know, for the rest of their life. And for us, it's like, why does this happen? And why is there so much variation? Why is a, it's completely, you know, under the normal curve, not to say it's normal, you know, not to say it's non-pathologic, but for someone between 45 and 55 to go through menopause and the 45-year-old is going to have much higher health risks. Than the 55 year old, you know, every if they're identical twins, yeah, you know, yeah. and why are we not researching this? Why is this not on the forefront in order to keep us as healthy for as long as possible?
1: And it's so true. Ovarian aging is a marker of longevity. And so everything we can do to reverse it, like reversing early menopause. And it's so important to understand, I'm sure you've seen this in people that have gone through your program. And so when they go through this program, I know from my ketograin community, my own life, reversing my early menopause is that you've just rejuvenated your ovary. So how is that, right? I mean, it is a significant phenomenon. So we know food, lifestyle, inflammation, stress, all of that are can affect our aging, either positively or negatively. And, and ovarian function is so powerful. And I love hearing stories about women, like it have been two years that since they've had their period, right? And all of a sudden their period starts back up normally. I'm like, I could never... Write anything on a prescription pad would have worked so well and worked for your longevity, you know? And I think that's, that's so powerful because when it happened to me, that early menopause at 39 years old, and I was like, this is your death sentence. I mean, cause you're not going to be able to have another child. You're, early menopause and that's it right and you're not given that there was nothing that had the possibility of reversing this and you know I, my story is that i went on to reverse it you know through my my journey my travel my you know herbal you know herbal medicine and the different lifestyle things that i figured out but it was, and naturally conceived at age 41, the child I was told I would never be able to have. I mean, that just doesn't happen. And so, but then able to replicate that in my patients over and over and over again. And that's the thing. And, and I love to say your diagnosis is not your destiny, right? Mm-hmm. Your diagnosis is your destiny and menopause, they think, oh, well, I'm menopause and that's it. And it does, you know, depends on the reason for the cessation of your period or for your period stopping or for your ovarian challenges. Like why, why aren't we having that expression? And I think doing things in that whole concept of why I like to say hormone replenishment versus replacement, I never wanna suppress what your ovaries are doing naturally because by doing so we're also suppressing DHEA which is the precursor to estrogen and testosterone. And that is the ovaries and the testes are a big part of the manufacture of DHEA. And we know based on research that even the postmenopausal ovary is still producing some hormones, some hormones, right? Because yeah, women yeah. who have had their ovaries retained after age 65, that study was published in the 1990s, had 50% yeah, less- yeah. 50, 50% less risk of heart, less
0: cardiovascular disease. That's I just powerful. read that, got in the last three or four months and I was absolutely floored because uh, someone on social media asked me, well, my doctor wants to remove my ovaries says I don't really need them. I'm 49. I'll be menopausal soon. Should I have them removed? And I almost responded, well, and I said, let me look and see if anything else has been published. Let me just be sure. And I absolutely was blown away because I mm-hmm. didn't know about that study.
1: You know, it's powerful. It's powerful. And we talk about the ovaries have a rapid, dec- I mean, have that transitional decline, but there's a combination of things going on during that time period too. And anyway, so I, I I'm part of that field that I used to, I was trained that way. If you're over age 35 or 40 and you're getting a hysterectomy, may as well reduce your risk of ovarian cancer by taking out your ovaries. Right, you right. know, That's how they, we were
0: trained. Patients are being quoted that to this day
1: yep we keep learning. We keep learning and moving forward and do everything we can to to create empowerment. So what next, Marie Claire? So what's next for you?
0: So I have my clinic, so i I Was in traditional OB/GYN, then I moved to become a hospitalist, and then COVID hit. So I really was a hospitalist through for three years during COVID, Mm -hmm. and then once things calmed down, I decided you know I really just want to focus on menopause care. So it's been a little over a year that I opened just a menopause specific clinic, and it has been the most amazing thing. I don't do surgery, I don't deliver babies, I'm never getting called or paged away. I just you know I don't have to go anywhere on the weekend. You know, (laughs) I'm just like it is my dream practice and it has been amazing. So my next thing is so many practitioners have reached out to me and wanting to know, how do you do this? Is this something I could do is to develop, um, some kind of a program to teach other people how we take care of menopausal women in Mary Claire wellness. So <laughs> it's so that we can, you know, I, I'm, I don't have a space available to see me and people fly in, which I think is sad that you can't find someone to take care of you in your hometown. you know, you have to drive or fly to go find someone who will listen to you and give you a reasonable treatment plan.
1: Yep. Yep. No, I I think that is so powerful. And honestly, the more the merrier. I Mm -hmm. love doing physician and clinic coaching. I love the, I've created a certification program, created some teaching around, for me, it's the keto green and hormone replenishment plans. But like, I see over and over again, how physicians and the the staff, right? The and the coaches and the practitioners, they just like have been craving this information. So I'm so glad to hear you're doing it and continue. I'm here to support you in any way. I'm really oh. happy to know you. And um, I thank you. Uh, for our audience, check out Marie, Claire. Marie, will you will you please share your
0: website? That's galvestondiet.com and then on TikTok the Galveston
1: Diet or just Galveston, Galveston Diet?
0: Diet. Okay. Yeah, and on TikTok I'm Doc, and Instagram it's Dr. Mary Claire, Doctor Mary Claire. Okay. It's M A R Y, not Marie. My mom Americanized my grandmother's French name.
1: No, <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. I keep wanting to say Marie Claire. My I know. Mom was
0: <laughs> my was mom's my name was so. Claire. Mm-hmm.
1: I love that name. Love that name. So thank you everyone for listening. I will be right back in a minute. In the meantime, please check out. Dr. Marie Claire, sorry, Dr. Mary Claire Haver's book, The Galveston Diet, available anywhere books are sold. So, and I will be right back. I think what we find now is that especially as more women physicians are going through menopause themselves. I mean, when I went through medical school in the early 1990s, I was one of 15 females out of class of 115 medical students. So women were the minority. When I did my residency at that time, we were almost 50-50. It was about 60% male, 40% female in my residency class of OBGYN. So all of us are going through menopause right now, right? So this is what we'll hope to see as more and more female physicians go through menopause that and what we've been told isn't exactly making us happier more joyful more empowered in our body more energetic then we've got to go on to the next step right we've got to do the next thing and figure out what's going on and often we are in our solo world right we don't know outside what our education was or clinical practice was until we're forced to learn as i was forced to learn gosh many years ago now over 25 years ago now so these are in It's so important to learn and to also check in with yourself, what resonates with you, what resonates truth, what's your next right step? What do you need to play with now? What do you need to find? And for me, it just lights me up when other physicians are, you know, finding the same things or finding that, you know, diet and lifestyle overpowers prescription medication. I do want to say that I think we do have to pay attention to the research on, chronic ovarian suppression with birth control pills and the chemicals that are in them, the progestins. I did a great interview in the past with Dr. Jolene Bryden. And that's another one. If you have questions around this to please reference her work. And also Dr. Lara Bryden from Australia, who wrote the period repair manual and an excellent excellent resource as well. So I thank you guys for being with me today and to being part on this journey. It's been fun talking with Mary Claire and fun talking with you about diet and hormone and menopause. Let me know what questions you have. I know you have questions and I always want to bring you the content that supports you. So email my team. So you've got a suggestion for another episode or a topic that you'd like to hear about here on the girlfriend doctor show. I definitely want to hear from you. And I thank you for your reviews. Your reviews mean the world to me. We want to boost our reviews on Spotify. So if you can pop over to Spotify, find the girlfriend doctor show and leave me a five-star review. I love it. Thank you. And I'd be very, very grateful you guys till next time. Thanks for being here.